Welcome to Burn It All Down. It's the feminist sports podcast you need. And this week, we are doing a two-part mega, super amazing, best ever Olympic preview in two parts. I am here with my co-hosts, Jessica Luther and Shereen Ahmed, and we are going to talk about what have been termed the pandemic games, the COVID games, the Tokyo Olympics of 2000, really 21, but will be called 2020. It got me thinking to how the last Tokyo Olympics in 1964 would have looked like for spectators and athletes. And 1964 is seen as a really important year in Japanese history, a seminal year for the Olympics, for the first bullet train, the normalization of relations with South Korea, And the people who are born in that year carry the name the new people, those who would be now 57 and were identified as the first generation to be born post-war and reconstruction. Globally, it's a pretty cold war year, you know, you're right in the middle of it. South Africa as well was finally banned for the apartheid regime from those Olympics for the first time. And the last day of the games, Zambia declared independence from the United Kingdom. So came in as one country and came out of the games as another. It's a very unique and I think the only time it's happened in Olympic history. But that's just a reminder of how recent decolonizations have been. And another good reminder that they still cast a very long shadow over the Olympics. For more on our analysis of politics, of having these games and our critique. (laughs) See recent episodes 208 and 206, but you can literally search burnitalldownpod.com and you'll be treated to dozens of our takes on the Olympics more broadly, as well as interviews like with No Olympics folks and expert professor Jules Boykoff. For now, we're going to revel in whether we like it or not what's coming. And so I'm going to start out with some categories, and my co-hosts are going to try to feature some of the things that are exciting us the most. The first category, splashy and paddles. Shireen, can you tell us about artistic swimming? Artistic swimming, everybody. Formerly known as synchronized swimming, artistic swimming has actually been part of the Olympics since 1984. Some Canadians may remember the name of Carolyn Waldo, who was a synchronized swimmer and the first Canadian woman to win two golds at a single Olympics, 1988 Seoul, for doubles and in the solo competition. But the IOC took away the solo event, so now there are only team and duet events. There is team technical and team free, and that just means that in the free event, there are not required elements, so there's a greater emphasis on choreography and creative movement. I need everyone to know that as Shreen is explaining these movements, she's literally acting out synchronized swimming moves. I was kind of flapping. It's like a TikTok <laughs> video over there. So artistic swimming, and this is my analysis, the artistic swimming is a combination of gymnastics, swimming, and dance. It's memorizing. So think cheer in the water because of the added elements of that kind of thing. And teams to look out for are Canada, Claudia Hosner and Jacqueline Simonot. They're a duet team and gold medalist at the recent superfinal in Barcelona from Belarus, Vaselina Khandoshka and Daria Kulagina. Now the Netherlands has twin sisters who are contesting second place. So it's Brehe and Nurcha. 
women's team events, Italy, Spain, and Canada are top three. I'm very excited about this and will be looking forward to it. And just as a side note, one of my like bucket list dreams is to have the Burn It All Down crew in a pool doing choreographed dances. That was wonderful, Shereen. And now I get rowing. So a few interesting things. The most decorated rower in the history of the Olympics, who won five gold, two silver, and one bronze medal, is Romanian Elisabetta Lipa who is now their minister of sport. And she's pretty interesting, left a huge legacy. Um, There are 14 events. There's two, four, and eight people in these boats. Uh, I don't know what you call them. They're called shells and they're called oars. I thought that they were called skulls too. Sculling is when you have two oars and sweeping is when you have one oar. Right, so it's not just, it's not just shelly shelly, right? There's, there's, there's scullies and (laughs) other things um, involved. It is called a sport for late bloomers. So that's something that's pretty interesting. So listeners out there that are in their 30s and 40s, this is hope for you. Um, It's pretty exciting. This year, look for Sanita Pasporti who is a Latvian-born professional rower. She represents Ireland, and she's the mother of two. She will be 39 in this Olympics, and also the kind of leading men range between 42, 45. For the U.S. team, all eyes are on Charlotte Buck, and I just want to think about how COVID's affected these athletes. It's pretty interesting that she ended up basically catching the eye of the U.S. Rowing Association by her COVID workouts that an indoor rowing machine tabulated and kept tabs on how hard she was working. So I thought that was kind of fascinating. She qualified in a really different way. That's amazing. Right? Actually. Yeah. Um, It made me think of other friend of the show, Grant Wall, who was constantly posting himself rowing. (laughs) Um, And I was like, I wonder if Grant was going for this. So those of you who bought rowing machines, this is going to be amazing. It's a whole new world out there. Okay, uh, moving on. Jessica, you've got table tennis. Yes, I have table tennis, which is a thrilling sport when you watch it's for me it's almost like hockey where I just have a really hard time keeping my eye on the ball or the puck because these people are so incredible at how they at how they play table tennis so for this Olympics there will only be two singles player per country which means for some countries it was an intense competition the format will be for the singles the top 16 players get a bye through the third round so if you're in the top 16 bye through the third round next 16 seeds start in the second round from the third round onwards, there are no buys, and it's a direct knockout single elimination tournament. You're there, and then you're gone. So it's real intense. For the mixed doubles competition, which is a new Olympic event, and any of the two team events, that they will all feature 16 teams and will take place as direct knockout single elimination tournaments with no buys. You lose, you go home. Can you imagine? What an intense thing after all the buildup to that. So some players to pay attention to. It's thrilling. I mean, these people are all so good, and they can. these countries can only send two of them. Ma Long and Ding Ning, both are from China. They're the defending men's and women's singles champions, respectively, from Rio in 2016. But Ding Ning is not the best Chinese woman going to Tokyo. Chen Meng is the defending World Cup and ITTF finals champion, She's been number one in the world since June 2019, so she is a gold medal favorite. But then Japan 
has a lot of good players, right? So this could be a place where the host country wins some medals. This is this includes Ito Mima, the world number three, and Ishikawa Kasumi, number nine in the world. That's on the women's side. For the men, Harimoto Tomokuza is currently fifth in the world. I also want to mention, shout out to Hugo Calderano, who is from Brazil. He's the first Latin American player to crack the world top 10. So we'll see how Hugo does. All right. El gusto de Brasil. I get sailing. One of the OGs. Sailing <laughs> was in the Athens Olympics in 1896, but it was canceled. And I couldn't find out. It's a, it's a mystery. It seems that there's a debate over whether it was weather that led it to be canceled or the IOC's mismanagement of getting permits to sail out of the Greek port. You mean like in 1896? Yes. They were going to do it and then yeah. it got canceled? Yeah. Do you want to do a little friendly burn it all down wager? I will bet five bucks that it was the, <laughs> the IOC. IOC? <laughs> the problem is you have no takers for this bet. <laughs> like, I believe the IOC would say it's weather, the, the, but right. I believe it's like exactly. the, the great weather cover up of 1896 <laughs> that burn it all down has cracked because I did go a digging. So the first time that sailing was actually included was 1900. Um, uh, well, really 1904 until they really get it together. And it's typically been dominated by um, Great Britain, the U.S., and Norway. There are 10 events in total. And I'm not even going to pretend to understand because you just saw me there about rowing exactly what makes it different. But they are defined by the boats and the types of um things they need to do to make the boat go and those are categories it's not it's not like weight class you know what I mean? it's like the type of boats so the events are named uh many of them after the boats themselves so for example um this is the first time that there is a NACRA 17 event. The NACRA 17 is a brand new boat that has been cleared for a particular event. I am going to be charmed, I think, by 59-year-old Santiago Longa from Argentina. This is his seventh Olympics. Also, both of his sons were in 2016 Olympic uh, teams. And so I don't know what's in the water. Don't sit on the toilet or do but anyway it's a whole family but point being he previously won two bronze medals and then uh, was diagnosed with lung cancer and had to have a large part of his lung removed and had to totally alter his training at that time what he did is took on a partner her name is Cecilia Carranza for the mixed gender NACRA 17 so it's the first to demand mixed gender racing. It's just been brand new since 2016, we're adopted and now it'll really be premiered. So I'm excited about that. Shireen, water polo. So to quote Dr. Brenda Elsie, the illustrious historian, water polo is also an OG. <laughs> so it became an Olympic event in 1900 and was one of the original sports of the modern games. 100 years later, women's event was added at the 2000 Sydney Olympics. So it only took them a hundred years. Like seriously, these bitches went like just waited at the 2000 Sydney Olympics. Australia women actually beat the USA 
for gold in front of a home crowd and the first time that women had participated in water polo at the Olympics. So it was a really big deal. So water polo, for those that aren't familiar, is like rugby, netball, and swimming combined and is played with seven players, six and a goalie. And in four quarters of eight minutes each, shoulder injuries are the most common injuries to both when men and women, a lot of like rotator cuff injuries and stuff like that. And for the men, traditionally European teams take the top tournaments in the world. Uh, Tokyo Tatsumi International Swimming Center in Kodo will be the host of this event. And while the men's event is dominated by Europeans, the women's side is kind of like a smorgasbord. And I feel like I'm going to go for Hungary here. No specific rhyme or reason, but they did beat the Netherlands in the final of the Olympic qualifiers in February of 2021. And they just look like badass. So what happens is before the match begins or the game begins, the ref blows a whistle and they all jump into the water at the same time. And then they go for the ball that's placed in the middle. So it's really neat. The men's rankings were um, accumulative and FINA, F-I-N-A, which is also the governing body of swimming internationally, also governs water polo. So Serbia, Croatia, Hungary, Italy, and Spain are for the men. And uh, for the World League rankings, which are different, just from 2019 and the world rankings didn't happen, haven't happened since 2019, and we'll see this in a lot of the sports, actually, is obviously because of COVID. So uh, Serbia, Croatia, Australia, Spain, Hungary, Japan, Kazakhstan, which I did not expect and was so happy to see there, and then Canada for the men. Now, the women's rankings, according to FINA, from 2016 to uh, 2020, USA is number one, Russia, Spain, Hungary, and Italy. And they didn't actually have world league rankings, unfortunately, for the women. But like I said, Hungary, we're hungry for, for some gold here in water polo. I'm hungry for them to do some LGBTQ protest um, about that legislation that they passed. I would love to see some of those athletes. Of course, Black Lives Matter will be, you know, very well received by this podcast. I would also like to see Hungary and Hungarian athletes, you know, use their platform. That would be really heartening to see. So I'll be interested. I'm with you, Shereen. I want to see Hungarians up there, and I hope it results in some political protest. Okay, I got canoeing next. And for those of you that don't know, I actually have a canoe tattooed on my forearm. So I care deeply about canoeing. It is my favorite sport to actually do myself. Um, I grew up canoeing on the Asabo River in Michigan, which has one of the largest and fastest canoe races. They go all night. Um, and I used to wake up with my cousins and feed the canoe racers because the whole town would kind of wake up and then you throw them food. Um, and it's, it's very sweet. But um, to my disappointment, these are kayaks. Um, these aren't really canoes. It's called a canoe race, but they're the covered. And once you cover, if you can't put a six pack in it, it's not a canoe. It's a something else. A six pack would never make it down. Right? Those rough, those, <laughs> the things they do, the Olympics the things on they are do incredible. Are amazing. Yeah. And there's two kinds of events, the sprint and the slalom. Um, the, it has been in the Olympics since 1936, um, so that was the ones in Berlin, and you'll see that it seems that 1936, a lot of sports started, so I do wonder to myself, cynical as I am, if Hitler was trying to bump up those Aryan numbers um, with some sports like canoe, which is traditionally a fairly European sport, as one can imagine. And so anyway, um, these are the two. The sprints are just, you know, you go fast as you can. 
And the slalom is actually made from artificial rivers. So they have a series of challenges um, that are rapids that are between classes two and four. And I think that the politics of creating an artificial mm -hmm. river is probably pretty depressing. Uh, <laughs> they look cool as hell, but yeah, what I a wasteful thing to do. Right? I mean, the whole thing but about it looks a cool as hell. canoe is like going in an actual river and there's lots of them. So um, it was kind of sad. It was, for me, it was a disappointing thing, except um, a couple things. First of all, Mexico and Hungary, hello, Shireen, will make their canoe slalom Olympic debuts in Japan. So that should be interesting. And um, women's canoe making its first appearance as like a, in the um, K1C1 event. Right. So for the first time, there will be equal numbers of men and women competing, 41 quotas allocated for each. And um, there is a team refugee athlete that is really compelling. His name is Saeed Fazlula, and he trains in Germany. He fled Iran in 2015, making his way there. You can see the Olympic profile on him on the Olympics page. He is very charming, and his story is heartwarming. Okay, so we are now going to say goodbye to splashy paddles or paddling splashes. And the next category is at the club. That sounds really fun. Shireen, give us something on golf. Okay, so we're talking about clubs, <laughs> y'all. No. Golf. We'll start there. Fun bit of history, friends. Before Rio 2016, golf had only been at the Olympics twice, 1900 and 1904. Um, there was a 112-year absence. And then at Tokyo 2020, really... Tokyo 2021, there will be two events and golf will have a 72 hole stroke play tournament, 60 different players representing their countries for both men and women. And for the women's event, all my money is on South Korea and not just because Korean heart dogs are one of my favorite things ever. It's because Jim Young Ko is ranked number one in the world. She's been a torchbearer in previous episodes. Inby Park is number two and Se Young Kim is number four. And I hope to see them on the podium. Do you remember how bad they pissed off Trump? Do you remember we did the oh. episode on... Trump wanting that U.S., I can't remember, golfer that he kind of sponsored to win. And those women that you just named just, like, killed it. And he was, like, so depressed. He, like, left. You know. So for the men, the USA may do well, but I don't do golf and I have no idea. But the USA are predicted to do well according to the <laughs> This is wonderful. <laughs> So Justin Thomas is third, Colin Morikawa's fourth, Bryson DeChambeau is five, and Xander Schofield is sixth. So because the golf event can actually have up to 60 participants, I feel like it is the sport with the most varied athletes and countries in a singular event. So everywhere from Paraguay to Malaysia to Slovakia to Mexico, you have being represented in golf. But the women's event... Not a single person from the continent of Africa, while the men's event actually does have South African and a player from Zimbabwe. So I love seeing the countries that may not we may not hear of on a global scale very often at PGA or LPGA tournaments. I love that. That's one of the funnest things of all. 
Um, okay, next up, tennis. Jessica. Of course. I got tennis. Uh, tennis is always a little weird at the Olympics because tennis is an international tour nearly all year long. So these athletes are always competing against each other on these major international levels. Um, but this time around, there's a lot, lot of big names that are skipping Tokyo for a lot of different reasons. Serena, Victoria Azarenka, Roger Federer, Andy Murray, Rafael Nadal, Dominic Team, Nick Kyrgios, Bianca Andreescu, and Joe Conta, just to name a few of them. Conta has actually, she is not going, she's the big British star. Uh, she's been suffering the after effects of COVID-19. A member of her team tested positive in the buildup to Wimbledon, in the buildup to Wimbledon, and she had to quarantine, so she couldn't practice and then came down with COVID, and so is just unable to prepare to go. So she will not be there. But I do think it's really fun to think about who could rise to the top amidst this depleted field. One of the best stories from Rio was Puerto Rican tennis player Monica Puig winning the gold medal. Mm -hmm. This is Japan. Naomi Osaka might be the biggest story in the Olympics, right? If this, if she can go all the way and win the gold medal, especially after every all the buildup over the summer around Naomi, that would be thrilling. And I, he's not my favorite, but I'm going to mention Novak Djokovic. It's noteworthy because this year in particular, he's won the first three Grand Slams. If he wins the gold medal and he wins the U.S. Open, he will win the Golden Slam, which no man has ever done. Steffi Graf, the great. Steffi Graf did it in 1988, and she's the only person who's ever done all five in one year. So I will just mention Djokovic going for that. He really, he left us all hanging on that. But it would be a big deal if he could do that. It'd be good for men to try to, you know, Finally set get their there. heights higher. Yeah. It'd be great to see them breaking boundaries. So, you know, golden slam. All righty. So if... Jessica got tennis. It's no surprise, since I'm generous and wonderful, that Shireen gets soccer, or as we like to call it, football. You did get sailing, of which you are the ultimate sailing prophet, Brenda. <laughs> Clearly. I have a huge career in sailing commentary. Um, so, yes, I'm excited about this. So before we get into the details, please check out previous interviews with Crystal Dunn, Team USA, uh, episode 180, and Erica Dembach, soccer coach, and that was December 2020, Team USA also. So some people might be wondering, how does this actually work? And I do want to go through a little bit of the legality, technicalities of how footballers and their teams qualify to be part of the Olympics. So athletes should have been born between 1st of January 1980 and the 31st of December 2002 to take part. Football um, it has been confirmed athletes who are entitled to compete in July 2020 will actually remain eligible for this year. So they wouldn't shut them out of, of the COVID year. The maximum age for the men's event is 23, but for Tokyo 2020 will be 24. There are no age restrictions for the women, but we will get into that. There are 16 teams and begins July 22nd, ends August 7th. Group A, Japan, South Africa, Mexico, France. B, New Zealand, South Korea, Honduras, Romania. C, Egypt, uh, Mohamed Salah had not been released by the country to play, so he will not be playing for Egypt, just to update. So Egypt, Spain, Argentina, and Australia. 
Group D, Brazil, Germany, Ivory Coast, and Saudi Arabia. And you're like, whoa, this is like really global. So the only thing positive I really have to say, because the idea of FIFA combining with IOC just makes me want to bathe in hand sanitizer. But realistically, this will be an opportunity for other teams to qualify that wouldn't have necessarily um, for the World Cup because the qualification process is different and it belongs FIFA doesn't want competition and it belongs to the IOC, so they get to decide. So some of the wealthiest, arguably wealthiest countries might have undue influence, if you know what I'm saying. So there's 12 women teams competing. It begins July 21st, August 6th. There are no player air restrictions for teams participating on the women's side. Brazil's Bruna Benitez is 35 and Carly Lloyd of the USA is 38. But they're among some of the stars taking part in this summer's tournament, and one of our faves, faves, Brenda's fave, Formiga is 43 years old and will be representing Brazil in her seventh Olympics. So like the sailor that Brenda was talking about, maybe because they're both seventh Olympics, so they can have like, you know, a photo of the septuagenitarian Olympians. Is that what it's called? (laughs) I just made that up, that word. I think that's the word. Septagon. Septagon. You you didn't make it up. It's It's just just not the right word. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So USA is favored to win. We know this for the women's side. The men, I feel like I'm going to go for France just because of what happened in the Euros. And I want Kylian Mbappe to have everything. So USA slated to win, but they did crash out in the group stages last Olympics and imploded. So you really never know. At Rio 2016, Germany beat out Sweden at the Marcana Stadium to win the gold. Germany did not actually qualify this time because, and neither did France for the women. Absolute heartache for me. Anyway, Group E, Japan, Canada, Great Britain, Chile. Group F, China, Brazil, Zambia, Netherlands. And Group G is Sweden, USA, Australia, and New Zealand. So unlike uh, the World Cup, for the IOC, Great Britain will actually be England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales. It won't be those individual countries. Now, all I got to say about this is I can't wait and I will be tweeting, you know, my punditry the whole way through. That is so exciting. Thank you, Shireen. Okay, back to you, Jessica, for some softball baseball. All right, so baseball and softball are making their return to the Olympics for the first time since the 2008 Games in Beijing. The opening games are going to be played at Fukushima Azuma Baseball Stadium, but then they will move to the Yokohama Stadium, which was actually the main venue. They both have six teams in softball. It's number one, USA, number two, Japan, who are actually the defending gold medalists in softball, number three, Canada, number five, Mexico, number eight, Australia, and number nine, Italy. It actually will start on Wednesday, July 21st, before the opening games, the very first game of the Olympics will be Australia versus Japan at 9 a.m. Japan Standard Time on July 21st in Fukushima. I'm sure that's not a mistake that that is where Japan wants the games to physically start. I do want to shout out two people in softball. One is Canada's Danielle Lowry. She's a right-handed pitcher. She was born in 1987, joined the Canadian softball team in 2005, 16 years ago, retired in 2014, but came back in 2018 because she hopes to win a medal in these games. But Canada has never medaled in softball. So for Danielle, we'll keep our fingers crossed for the number three team. But Japan has their own veteran right-handed pitcher, Yukiko Ueno, born in 1982, two-time Olympic medalist, including the gold in 2008 when Japan won last time. In Athens 2004, Ueno pitched the first and only seven-inning perfect game in the history of Olympic softball. 
The bronze and gold medal matches will be played on Tuesday, July 27th. Baseball will take over the next day on July 28th. They also have six teams. Number one, Japan in baseball. Number three, Korea, who are actually defending gold medalists. USA is fourth. Mexico fifth. The Dominican Republic is number seven. And number 24 in the world, Israel, will be the sixth team. The bronze and gold medal matches will come up on Saturday, August 7th. The one baseball shout-out I want to give is Adrian Gonzalez from Team Mexico. This first baseman was born in 1982 in San Diego and grew up in Tijuana. His MLB debut was with the Rangers back in 2003, and he's a five-time MLB All-Star, and he'll be out there for Mexico. Yay! Ole! Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The next category is badassery slash weapons. Shireen, what about field athletics? So field athletics, via track, so long jump. Malaika Mihambo of Germany is a current world champion, and Juan Miguel Echevarria of Cuba won bronze at the world championships in Doha, but won gold in 2018. So I feel like those are my faves to win. So triple jump. Cuba has a very strong tradition in triple jump. And Jordan Diaz lapped 17.30 meters to break the world under 18 best at the 2017 championships in Nairobi. And he followed it up the next year and improved to 17.41 meters in Havana, but also set a North and Central American U20 record. So he's really someone to watch. And someone else I just wanted to mention was Yulimar Rojas is Venezuelan. And she's the first Venezuelan woman to win an Olympic medal. She won a silver in Rio. And she's a triple jump star. She's won two outdoor world titles and the second world indoor. She's amazing and was the 2020 World Female Athlete of the Year and broke the indoor record. So I am... I think she's amazing. And she said, quote, my ambition is to become the first woman to jump 16 meters, says Rojas. It is something unimaginable in people's minds, but I think I have the ability to do it. So jumping 16 meters, like that's a lot of meters to jump horizontally. How even? How even? I would drive that. That is so do you know far. I, mean? I- Golly. High jump. So 
Javier Sotomayor of Cuba is the current men's record holder with a jump of 2.5 meters, 8 feet and quarter inches set in 1993. So I'm just giving you some history here. And that is the longest standing record in the history of the men's high jump. So Motaz Isabarshim of Qatar is a reigning world champion right now and who has not yet made Sotomayor's record, but he's trying to beat that. So it's like, oh, can he catch up? So I didn't think there'd be this much drama in high jump, but I'm here for it. Now for women, Maria Latiskene, born in Russia, who was actually a authorized neutral athlete, ANA, is a category under which Russian athletes can compete at international competitions after the doping scandal, which first came to light in December 2014. So that's what ANA is, if anyone's wondering. Uh, then we've got the pole vault. So Anzalika Sidorova, also of ANA, and Sam Kendricks of the USA. You know, I'm kind of cheering for them, and they were world champions and going into the Olympics. We've got shot put, discus, javelin, and hammer throw. And I was going to go through individually, but hammer throw, I'm like, let's talk about our fave Gwen Berry. Uh, episode 143 and special episode June 2020, who we all know recently turned her back to the flag in protest during the plane of the Star Spangled Banner. We love you, Gwen, and we hope you thore the shit out of that hammer. Another hammer that I want to mention, a hammer athlete, is a Kenyan Kekaha athlete competing in Tokyo, Chilean Ware. Ware, whose maternal family comes from the Italian Nidaga Mohawk territory in southern Ontario, will compete in the hammer throw which is a track and field event. And she said, quote, I'm excited, honestly, just to be able to take part, represent Canada, and to represent the Mohawk Nation. I feel like that's a huge accomplishment, end quote. Now I get to pronounce a sport that has caused serious consternation <laughs> on this podcast for the past few days. And because I am lead, I get to call it badminton. Shireen. I'm sorry. Jessica, why don't you tell us about... About badminton? Yeah, about badminton. Because of cruel. Shereen's dying. Shereen's dying. She wants it to be badminton. Badminton. That's how it's pronounced. By you. By you. So badminton is one of the most popular (laughs) sports in the world. Japan has a possible gold medalist on the men's side, Kento Momota. Fascinating. He's a world number one. He was banned in 2016 from competing because of his involvement in an illegal gambling scandal. When he returned to the sport, he made his way back to number one by winning 39 matches in a row. Then last year, leaving a competition, he was in a van and it crashed into the back of a truck. The driver died. Momota got a fractured eye socket, damaged his eyesight. It just a hell of a story. Had the pandemic not happened, we probably wouldn't have seen him at the Olympics, but he has recovered enough now that he will get to compete in Tokyo. So he has had quite a run to get here, and we'll see if he can actually pull the gold out of this. Can I ask, It did he gamble on badminton? Is there gambling in badminton? I'm just... Oh, I'm sure. It's super popular. Right. Okay. Okay, I'm just so. Yeah, cute. I don't know. No, badminton is a fascinating sport with a lot of drama. Like badminton Shireen just wants really... just wants to say it. I don't know what sport okay. she's talking about, but go ahead, Jessica. <laughs> Aram Mahmoud, who is from Syria, he'll be competing on Team Refugee in the men's singles event. The world number one for women is from Taiwan. Dai Zhu Ying, she's never won an Olympic medal. She's hinted that this will be her final Olympics. Her biggest rival is world number two Jen Yufei of China. 
it'll be exciting to see who can pull this one out. I love badminton. All right. This one I'm going to share with Shireen, and that is the sport of archery, which is taking place from July 22nd to the 31st. It started in the Olympics in 1900, but then was dropped from 1920 to 1972. Why? It's so obviously awesome. I don't know. The IOC. There are men's events that are usually dominated by South Korea, U.S., Italy. Um, Also, Mexico, South Korea, and China traditionally dominate the women's game. There are going to be 128 athletes. They are spread across five events, men's individual, women's individual, men's team, women's team, and mixed team. The mixed team is new for 2020. All of the events mean that the archer to the target is the same distance, 70 meters. It's very far. I'm not perfect at the metric system because my schooling was in this country that doesn't use a rational measurement system, but I know it's very far. Um, and I was super excited about Bhutan's karma. That's her name in Bhutan. They only use one name. So it's extra, extra badass. Like it's badass, but then it's super badass because her actual just name is karma. And she's really charming. Um, she claims that she trains, she shoots from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. daily, almost seven days a week or usually seven days a week. Um, And she is hoping to be Bhutan's first medalist. This is their national sport. It is considered to be, you know, an extremely austere and um, spiritual culture. And archery is a big part of that. And so, yay, karma. Let's go. Okay, Shireen, what do you want to add to this most badass event? I wanted to add that Deepika Kumari, who we have mentioned before, um, is a 27-year-old and from Ranchi, which is ironically where my mother was born in India before moving to Pakistan post-partition. So she is from Ranchi and went to top of the rankings for the first time since 2012 and won gold medals in women's individual, women's team, and mixed team events. Overall, Deepika has nine gold, 12 silver, and seven bronze medals at the World Cups. She's one of India's strongest medal contenders at the Olympics. This is from NDTV.com. I just wanted to say about archery, I love archery. One of the things I really love about it is that we find women from the Global South a lot in there, and we find women from countries that wouldn't necessarily participate in other sports. And one of the reasons is there have never been any uh, clothing restrictions. There's always been uniform accommodations in archery. So you get lots of uh, archers from Iran. You get them from Malaysia. You get them. I remember the last Olympics, and there was an archer who was almost nine months pregnant who was competing. And I think this is something really neat because it requires so much mental acuity but just to have people in their final trimester you know competing is is fantastic and one of the other things a lot of people don't know and Brenda was talking about Bhutan having a spiritual element there is a couple sports within the faith of Islam that are recommended for people to do one is swimming one is horseback riding and one is archery so it's actually spiritually recommended to be able to shoot a bow and arrow so we got to do that Maybe we'll put the artistic swimming on hold and go to our archery range when we get together next time. I don't think it has to be an either or. I can do both. Yeah, it's an and. We could do archery in the pool. No, but I think we could do them (laughs) both on a visit. Okay, I get judo. Judo, quite fittingly, started um, in the Olympics, premiered at the 1964 
Olympics because it is uh, born in Japan. It is a related cousin of jujitsu with more emphasis on competition, at least so far as I can read into it. <laughs> Basically, there are weight classes and every country can qualify one athlete per weight class. And so there are what they are called judokas from 55 nations that have won a medal representing all five continents. Um, In other parts of the world, we think of seven um, continents or five continents, but um, mostly for those of you confused, it, it, it should be five. And so medals from all of them and Japan tops the medal table of all time, 84, and then there's France and South Korea. Also really strong and surprising contenders from Cuba. But people are mostly looking at Teddy Riner from France as an exciting figure. He was born in Guadeloupe, and he brings um, diversity to the French team by being there. And again, we can hearken back to issues of colonialism and the ways in which the games are colonial, but they also highlight some of these athletes that um, have emerged for their countries. All right, Jessica, weightlifting. So this is an OG event. It goes back to 1896 in Athens. So both men's and women's weightlifting has seven different divisions, all based on the weight of the lifter. The men's divisions range from 61 kilograms, which is about 134 pounds, to 109 kilograms and above. That's 240 pounds and up. The women's divisions range from 49 kilograms, 108 pounds, to 87 kilograms or up, 191 pounds. I actually interviewed one of the weightlifters who's going to compete for the U.S. in Tokyo back on episode 130. Kate and I will be competing in the 76 kilogram, 167 pound division. She's actually gone up a division since I interviewed her. I thought it'd be fun to let Nye from that interview explain the two different lifts that you'll see people do at the Olympics. We have two lifts in competition, the snatch and the clean and jerk. You get three attempts of each. You start with the snatch, and that is when you lift the bar from ground to overhead in one movement. The goal is to do that, obviously, the most weight you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the snatch is always less than your clean and jerk, at least if, you do them, or if you're doing them right. Right. So the clean and jerk is next. You need to get it from ground to overhead, but you stop at your shoulders first. So you do the clean And you get it to your shoulders, and then you do a jerk from your shoulders to overhead. Usually with a split jerk, your good leg goes forward and your bad leg goes back. Okay. Yeah, so that's the usual way. There's a couple other ways, but that's what people usually do. So yeah, you basically just uh, do the best you can in all six lifts since you have three of each. And then you add your best snatch and your best clean and jerk to make your total. And your total is what you... You put it together, and that's how you rank. So that's the clean and jerk and the snatch. One of the bigger stories recently has been Laurel Hubbard, a transgender woman from New Zealand who qualified. Lindsay mentioned this on episode 208. It's believed that she'll be the first openly transgender person to compete in the Olympics. She'll be in the over 87 kilogram, 192 pound category. We here at Burn It All Down are Team Hubbard. But I also want to tell you about Magdalene Moyengwa, a 20-year-old from Botswana, who started lifting six years ago. She became the first female lifter in Botswana to compete in an International Weightlifting Federation World Championship. Back in 2019, she finished sixth in the 59-kilogram division. She'll now be the first-ever weightlifter from Botswana to compete at the Olympics. And on the men's side, Cyril Chatchet, 
II will be competing in the 96-kilogram division. He's from Cameroon, but he will actually be on Team Refugee. That is exciting. Okay, I get Taekwondo. Now, unlike Judo, Taekwondo is a martial art from Korea and perhaps unsurprisingly is dominated by South Korea as well as China and the United States historically. It is focused on punching and kicking rather than the takedowns um, of some of the other martial arts. It premiered in 2000 in the Sydney Olympics and medals are given um, in four weight classes equally between men and women. Lots of people have their eye on Wu Jingyu of China, the two-time gold medalist in the under 49 kilogram category. Um, China's Wu had announced her retirement after frustrating loss in the quarterfinal in Rio, but then she returned in 2019, and that was just a year after she gave birth to her daughter. So she is 34 years old, and she's the first female Taekwondoan to compete in four Olympics. And the other person that I wanted to highlight is Kimia Elizadeh. She is a Taekwondo athlete from Iran that is going to be competing for Team Refugee. She won bronze in the 57 kilogram weight class in Rio, making her the first Iranian woman to win a medal at the Summer Olympics. In January 2020, Elizade announced she was leaving Iran permanently for Europe. Explaining her defection, she stated, quote, I am one of the millions of oppressed women in Iran who they have been playing with for years. End of quote. We look forward to seeing her compete again. It's one more example of why Team Refugee uh, is exciting and can, you know, allow these athletes a different, a different venue when they're essentially stateless. Okay, I also get karate. This is so funny that I ended up with, <laughs> with all of these martial arts because it feels like so different than anything I would even be brave enough to like take a class in, you know, or anything like that. So it's kind of funny that I get all these, but yes, here we go again, karate. Again, Japan is the birthplace of this martial art. And like 1964, when judo was debuted in Tokyo, now it's going to be karate that debuts in Tokyo. And there are two types of karate that have events. One is called kata, that is solo, and there's one event each for men and women. And the other is kumaiti. Now, that's the sparring discipline that has three weight classes for men and women, meaning if you do a kata, it's almost like doing a floor routine. You can't do the same thing again, and um, it has to. you have to think about the kinds of points, the balance, the strength, the flow that is going to earn you points, as well as your choice of movements. So the kata has its own, a very different scoring system. But they're both, they both have to do with that agility, balance, and strength. I love reading about how these athletes uh, train themselves mentally and do so much meditation and think about mental focus because of the, the central role that balance takes in the sport and also its history. Um, Spaniards are on the top of the kata world rankings in both the male and female categories. 
Sandra Sanchez and Damian Quintero will be among the favorites for the event, but Team Japan has a lot of people. So I think that may be a place where home country um, could definitely earn a bunch of medals. And then finally, I just want to recognize one more from Team Refugee. Wael Shueb is from Damascus in Syria. He was working in a textile factory, and he was also a karate coach there. And then in 2015, he fled Syria to Turkey um, on a rubber dinghy and then went to Greece. He then took the Balkan road on bike to the Serbian border through Macedonia and eventually made it to Germany, where he now is going to train and compete so he also is featured on the Olympics website. We can put the link there. You can see a video with him. It's very charming um, and inspiring. <laughs> Not that it's the kind of inspiration that you want to have to happen. Okay, finally, last but not least, I kind of feel like we need to drum roll this. Um, cycling. Jessica. Yeah. There's a lot of it. <laughs> there are 22 <laughs> cycling events in five disciplines. Those disciplines are indoor track cycling, so you think velodrome, then road cycling, think Tour de France. Those two are OGs from 1896. Then we have mountain biking, BMX racing, and the newest Olympic cycling event, BMX freestyle. So I'm going to go through these quickly, even though each one has its own, like its own subdivision. So track cycling... It has six events, the Team Sprint, the Kieran, the Sprint, Team Pursuit, the Madison, and the Omnium. Omnium. I don't have time to go into all of them in detail. I do want to say the Madison is like a relay race without a baton, and I love this. They're like pairs. So when the resting rider is ready to come back into the race, the racing rider grabs them by the hand and slingshots them into the front. I'm going to watch that. I'm going to watch it. That sounds dangerous and silly, and I just can't believe that this is like a thing. The first team to cross the finish line wins. It's a 50-kilometer race for the men, 30-kilometer for the women. They slingshot each other over and over again during this race. That sounds great. And I also want to explain the Kieran because it's wild. They have a motorized bike that sets the pace. Go find a video of this. It's a like It looked like a robot maybe in Rio, but it's definitely a motorized bike. The first lap... The bike goes 30 kilometers per hour. Over the next five and a half laps, the, the motorized bike speeds up consistently to 50 kilometers per hour and then gets out of the way for the final three laps. And then they just sprint the hell out of it. And whoever crosses the finish line wins. So they go incredibly fast by the end, but they're brought up to pace by a little motorized bike. That's the Kieran. Road cycling. I want to mention Masuma Alizada who is from Afghanistan and will be part of Team Refugee. She'll be competing in the women's time trial in road cycling. And Ahmad Badreddin Weiss, he'll be competing in the men's time trial. He's from Syria. He's also on Team Refugee. All right, mountain biking. Goes back to 1996. The kind of mountain biking in the Olympics is called cross-country, which is shortened to XC. So when you see XC, that's the mountain biking. It's an endurance event. 100 to 150 riders all start at the same time, which, what? How? Okay. But then they compete over rough, muddy, rocky terrain. The course in Japan will be about 4,100 meters. That's roughly two and a half miles. French rider Luana 
LeConte is one of the favorites to win gold in the women's mountain biking event. She dominated the cross-country World Cup circuit in the first half of 2021, winning all three events that have been staged so far this year. No woman has taken three World Cup events in a row since 2006. So she's the one to watch. BMX racing. It's the BMX motocross. It's a sprint race on dirt tracks, and it's got the rollers, like, you know, like the little rolling hills. I'm doing this thing with my hand that's not useful to anyone listening. Like all the little rolling up and downs. They have jumps, banked turns. The course is about 400 meters long. That's a quarter of a mile. The BMX bikes are smaller than normal bikes because the riders never sit down on them. So they need to be able to be nimble on the bike. There'll be 24 riders in both men's and women's races. The cyclist to watch here is Mariana Pajon from Colombia. She won gold in London and Rio. This time around, we'll put three in a row. That would be amazing. And finally, BMX Freestyle, brand new event to the Olympics, eight competitors for men, eight competitors for women. The riders will do a 60-second run on a park course that has ramps, obstacles, and transitions. Judges will score the runs based on the difficulty, originality, and execution of the tricks. The rider in this one to look out for is a U.S. BMX Freestyler, Hannah Roberts. She's won the BMX Freestyle World Championship three times already, She's 19 years old. If she medals, she'll be the youngest U.S. medalist in cycling since 1912. Wow. I'm tired. Mm -hmm. I didn't know cycling was quite complex this way. There is so much to it. There's like a ton. I just thought there was one event. (laughs) (laughs) When I got to it and I got to the the track cycling and it was like, and there are six of those events. And I read them. I was like, Kieran, Madison, Omnium? Like... (laughs) What is this? Slingshot? Yeah. When you said slingshot, I'm like, did I, am I They just slingshot each other around. (laughs) Sounds dangerous. I mean, I also have to think like, you know, BMX freestyle, are they, are they judging them on like their pizzazz? Difficulty, originality, and execution. Originality. So you could just think of some, some more absolutely off the wall slingshot technique. Gold medal to you. Wow. Okay. Well, thanks to you both for that total amazing rundown. I do want to ask a couple other things. First, this is just rapid, you know, little round table. What sport would you like to see included in the Olympics that isn't? Jessica. Yeah. So women's baseball. That shouldn't be a surprise to anyone who listens to this. Mm -hmm. I would really love to see the women play baseball, but also – powerlifting, which is not weightlifting. So powerlifting would be like deadlifting and bench press. Like those are the things that I do. And hopefully one day I'll learn to weightlift. But I was like, that would be really fun to see. Olympic hopes for Jessica. Shireen. I feel so much more firmly about this now. I know this is rapid fire, but after BMX creative, why is skipping not in the Olympics? I feel like you. I feel like skipping is totally. like not just a training event. I feel like this deserves to be an Olympic event. Difficulty, originality, and execution. Come on. Artistic people. skipping. Bring the skipping on. Yes. With some rolling hills, yes. some bank turns. See what people do. I with agree. That. I mean some you slingshot. slingshot. You can slingshot people actually with the with the skipping rope. So everything's rolled in there. Music. Oh there you yeah. Go. You got it. Yeah, I agree. And mine, I couldn't think of one and then shout out to my daughter Luna that said, Do you know what I want for you? Is pinball to be in it because you're actually kind of good at that. And I was like, right, I am. I am good at that. Pinball. 
Kind of good, I well, think. Well, for me, it's good. It's relative to where you set the bar. So pinball is perhaps my only hope, and I love it so much. Bren, I read it as, when I was reading the document, I read it as pickleball. <laughs> which would also which would be, be on brand for us as well. Yeah, I'm not against it. I'm just, if I've got one thing, you know, it would be that. Okay, what would you want to meddle in? And these are probably related. Jessica. Oh, yeah, weightlifting. Yeah. Hands down, that'd be amazing. But also, I was thinking, I know we're doing summer, but I would totally want to, like, be a ski jumper. You would want to do that, or you just want to be the type of person that could do that? Oh, that, I, that's a great question, Bren. Yes. <laughs> Shereen, what about you? Um, clearly, I didn't know we were allowed to talk about winter sports, because, like, clearly all of We that. weren't. We okay. weren't. Jessica was uncharacteristically breaking rules out there. I love this moment. This is like a pivotal moment. I was, I'm a little shocked, actually. It's a weird moment. I changed So I'm going to stick. I'm going to be unconventionally and sticking to the rules. Soccer <laughs> or artistic swimming, just because I think it would be fun. Like, obviously, soccer is what I'd love to be on the podium for. Yeah. Well, if pinball was included, I definitely would want to medal in pinball um, because that means I would get to do it a lot um and maybe even get you know paid for it or something or supported or it would carry it on because right now our kids are really getting rid of pinball so that makes me sad but I mean in terms of current events archery just because I feel like I would be so intimidating to everyone I'd be like I could kill you with this <laughs> like and I know that's not like true of archers they want to just win at their sport but you know that they think it sometimes. Like, I mean, they've got to be like, you're practicing from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. karma. So sinister, Brenda. You're not thinking of like, you know, politicians that shall not be named or, you know what I mean? Right? But I feel like the judokos and the karate folks that are black belts and they can walk around with that energy being like, I can literally destroy you. I would do that if I had, which I don't have a black belt, but if I did, that would be my energy. Oh, definitely. Actually, if I meddled in any single one of these things, right? now that we've gone through it, I would pretty much feel amazing. Yeah. I mean, you could kill someone with that slingshot and that bike. Who knows what you could do with the badminton racket at that speed? So, I mean, they're all amazing. That's it for this episode of Burn It All Down. This episode was produced by Tressa Verstig. Shelby Weldon is our web and social media wizard. Burn It All Down is part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Follow Burn It All Down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen, subscribe, and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and TuneIn. Please, please subscribe and rate. For show links and transcripts, check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. You'll also find links to our fire merch at our bonfire store. And thank you always, always to our patrons. Your support means the world. Really, if you want to become a sustaining donor to our show, visit patreon.com slash burn it all down. We are appreciative every single time we do this show. And on behalf of Jessica Luther and Shireen Ahmed and myself, burn on and not out.